Welcome back to the Modern Cop Podcast. Joining me on the show today, all the way from the East Coast, he's staying up late for me. We got Cole. You might know him better on Instagram as The Salted Rim. Uh, I'm a sex crimes detective. I'm not going to touch that one. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to try and be mature today, Cole, just for you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. We're on Instagram Live as well. I am not going to move the camera because I currently look like the front cover of the Anchorman DVD. Uh, I'll let you try and remember what that looks like. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're too young for me. Anyways, uh, wanted to dive on in here. First, uh, no sponsorship whatsoever, but I did pick up a new pair of boots from Victus, uh, the uh, the range trainer waterproof. They're not supporting this at all, but credit where credit is due, super comfy uh, boots. I've worn uh, the Danner Scorches, lasted me about six weeks before they got torn to shit. Um, uh, Bates, I've had them through the academy and they're the uh, uh, pair of boots I still have. So I can keep a shinable pair of boots for my class B's and class A's. But these Victus boots are life-changing. Uh, I now wear them more than my uh, uh, my Altimas, but I do still love my Altimas all the same. So different boots for different, uh, different work. Uh, also, shout out to the Mike Loop um, uh, for uh, continuing to uh, support the channel. Uh, we got the Good Cops giveaway that I'm going to be starting up here shortly. In fact, I'll probably start working on that this week. Um, and also to uh, the Door Jam for for helping out on that as well. If you want to get involved in the Good Cops giveaway, send me a message uh, on Instagram uh, and let me know. I would say email me. I have a million and a half things going on. I'm terrible at email uh, uh, with the podcast specifically. So just send me a message on Instagram or over on Facebook if you can. So, Cole, man, again, thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. I greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your day and, and staying up late for me. Yeah, brother, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. So, Cole and I Cole and I recently found each other. It was serendipitous, man. I was telling you, it was a moonlit night on a beach somewhere in Florida. It was amazing. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell them what happened after you know after we had our no we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about what happened afterwards that's not a discussion that we're gonna have um i am going to uh to turn a lot of this over to uh to cole i think we've got a, a handful of good things to talk about um cole's page on instagram uh again at uh and i think there's an underscore in there somewhere cole so correct me uh it's at uh the or no salted underscore rim yes yep i think it's yeah at the salted underscore Ram. Gotcha. Um, and uh, and Cole, uh, kind of right there, front and center, man. Cole has taken it upon himself to be a good mentor uh, and to help out uh, uh, people who are thinking about getting into the job or people who are just now getting into the job. So I'm going to give Cole uh, ample opportunity to discuss his career thus far. But before we get into that, Cole, you've got to answer the icebreaker question, man. You're having a drink with anybody, living or dead. Who is it, and what are you drinking? Man, there's like, there's so many probably different ways I could go with this, but I'm going to say like, gun to my head, I would probably want to have a drink with Edgar Allan Poe, I think. All right, Edgar yeah. Allan Poe, that's a new one, I like it. I think so, man, but there's so much like, like from where I'm from, like we're maybe 15 minutes outside of Baltimore City, so there's so much like lore to him and everything, like, you know, it's, it's a big thing down here, but I, I'm also an avid reader. And I don't know, his writings just kind of like, they, it gets me like the darker side of things. He was like the OG, you know, like gothic, like punk rock back in, you know, the 1800s. So, right. And I'd really like to like, 
pick his brain to find out if he was really just that like tormented or he was just like really good at like, you know, being a little brat, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Probably like, and then obviously if you know a lot about him, his drink was like cognac. So like that was the thing. And there's a very famous bar down here. It's called the horse you came in on. It's in uh Fells point in Baltimore city where he would frequent. And it's really cool. Cause every night before the bar staff closes, they leave a, glass of cognac always on the bar for his ghost and the legend is is that every once in a while they'll come in and the, the drink will be gone so i'm not a cognac guy but if we're drinking with hell i think i could uh i i would drink the cognac i think you'd uh, you'd make it work there i'd make it work i'd make it work hair of the dog Hair of the yeah, hair of the dog. Exactly. Well, and when in Rome, right, you get a chance to talk with a dead author, uh, uh, a pioneer of his time, right? I mean, uh, fuck it, I'll just choke it down, I guess. Um, I am a a bourbon guy myself. I'd like to try and get into Scotch, but uh, it's just not something uh, that I've that I've breached uh, just yet. Uh, one other question, and I apologize, I didn't text this one to you ahead of time. Every now and then, I ask it. Uh, nothing overly complex, but are you currently reading any books? Uh, that you, that you want to share with uh, with the people that are listening that are like, hell yeah, this is an awesome book. You should check this out. Yes, man. Yep. So I'm currently reading two. I'm reading um, Unafraid by um, Seal Team Six member Eddie Penny. Okay. Really cool guy. He was on the Sean Ryan podcast, and he's not hard to find if you're not already following him on on social media. You should be. He's really really cool, and it's kind of like his testimony through the through the Seal Teams and him coming in to to. to to Christ and it's just really 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 good read and then on the opposite end of the spectrum I'm reading Code Over Country by Matthew Cole and that's like the darker side of SEAL Team 6 so it's uh, I don't want to like I, I don't I don't want to talk out of school obviously because I'm not a Navy SEAL but it's all about like the crimes and cover-ups of you know stuff that SEAL Team 6 has done over the years and I think he does a good job at leaving it up to the reader to kind of like make their own interpretation like hey no they're they're like this or it's not but it's you know when you read a book like I, I love Navy SEAL books but like when you read those books it's all always so good so it's really cool to get like a take where it's like holy shit you know like what's yeah. this stuff going on so it's cool to read and then you know from a cop's point of view and you know it's really cool to see how he like his investigative journalism, how he maps this out. And it's, it's, it's interesting to say the least. I I think it's really good. Awesome. Awesome. I, uh, I just started, uh, yesterday when I find a book, man, I, uh, I grew up reading. I mean, I've got, I've got, uh, damn near a library, uh, scattered throughout my house. Um, but uh, I would say in my late twenties, I started to kind of wane from reading and then I've, I've uh, been working on getting back into, it. I do a lot of audiobooks, which uh, I know some people, you get the super book nerds who are like, that's not the same thing. Um, but I did just start reading uh, the Bomber Mafia, and I, I cannot remember the name uh, of the author right now, but he hosts uh, the Revisionist History podcast, uh, which is which is a pretty kick-ass show. Uh, and the way that the book is written, dude, I ended up, it was like I started it last night when I got in bed, and by the time I uh, was ready to close my eyes, I was like 55 pages into it. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when when you find the when you find a good book, man, that, that you don't want to put down, um, it's it's okay to be tired going into work the next day. I think so too. It's worth it. I it's funny because like I had you know like I was, I mean, terrible in school. I was terrible. Like I never thought that I would ever read books. But you know, when I got into like my early twenties, I really started to like read it, and 
I'm like an avid reader now. My wife jokes around with me all the time and calls me a nerd and, and stuff like that because I'm always reading. And once I get done one book, like I'm right on to the next one. So I try to do at least, I try to do at least 12 a year, like one per month. Sure. So yeah, last year I, I had a little bit more, but I'm moving a little bit slow this year, but you know, we're busy. We, we just had a baby too and we're, we're expecting again. So it's oh, been a little congratulations, baby. man. Thank you. This is, uh, before this show, I, when, uh, when Cole and I were talking about him coming on the show, I said, Hey, I can get you on, but not until eight o'clock Arizona time. And he was like, no, it's cool, man. I get it. Uh, cause I got to put, it was my night to put my boy to bed. Uh, and at, uh, three, he'll be four next month. And he was just fighting it, man. It's his new thing is just tooth and nail. No, thank you to bed. So I know joke around all the time. It's like, you know, three o'clock in the morning hits and they're up and it's like, you ready to rock? Like, yeah. you're like, Oh. I, I know, man. If there's one thing being a parent has taught me thus far, it's patience. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. My, yeah. Ki- my kid woke up at two o'clock this morning and I walked into his room and I swear it was like a, it was like that scene in um, Super Troopers. You boys like Mexico? Like my kid was ready to go. And I'm just like, God, dude, go back to sleep. <laughs> so Cole, take us back, man, to, uh, to the beginning. Uh, uh, you are a police officer. Now you're out on the East Coast. What is it that drew you into the career of being a police officer? Um, well, I grew up, so my, my entire family's in, in public service. So my mother was a dispatcher for actually the agency that I work for now. And that's how she met my father. My dad was a um, airborne ranger, um, went to Korea, um, not Korea, Grenada, and, you know, the early, early days of like Panama, I guess, in like the late 80s, early 90s. He became an electrician, um, and he was doing a job at the police station, and one of the sergeants really took a liking to my dad and was like, hey, do you want to be, you know, do you want to be a cop? And my dad went in and uh, worked patrol there and met my mother, who was dispatching, and then he lateraled to another agency, and then they had me, I think, a little bit, I think probably like two years later, and then they had my, my sister. So we grew up, you know, surrounded by that for sure. My mother and father split in 1997, and then my mom married a firefighter. So, you know, she she went off the. Uh, who's just my stepdad? Who's a great guy, by the way. But she uh, she definitely left one extreme for another. I think. Sure, sure. Slide down the pole better than my dad, but uh, they they've been together ever since. So, but he was Rick's a really good guy. That's my stepdad. So, I was always surrounded by it, and I think I always knew growing up, like I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be a police officer for sure. And I, I was funny cause I was talking to my wife, you know, the other day about stuff. And I think like a lot of, you know, it's hard, you know, when you're a cop and you have kids and you have families and you have to leave and, you know, you can't be there for, for Christmases and birthdays. But like growing up, you know, we didn't, one, we didn't know any better. You know what I mean? That was normal for us. So, but I can remember being, like even even like when my my mom got married to my stepdad, his fire alarm pager and stuff would go off, and they would just leave. And I was never like upset as a kid. Like I remember being like, "That is just so cool. Like it's just so neat. Like they're going off to have an adventure, or do whatever they're doing." And that really really intrigued me. And so that I mean that was always the long term goal. And it's actually really funny. You'll you'll get a kick out of this. But my mom tells this story all the time. When I was in kindergarten we were, you know, all the kids were in a circle and they were rolling a ball to each other was the activity. And when you got the ball rolled to you, you had to say, you know, what you wanted to be when you grow up. And, you know, kids, 
everybody's saying, you know, the typical kid stuff, you know, I want to be a princess or I want to be an astronaut. And I was like, you know, I really like guns and I want to be a sniper. But it was, <laughs> and I didn't know this at the time, but two weeks after this, after I had said this, Columbine happened. Oh shit. So, yeah, right. So my, so these people and these parents are looking at my mother like, psycho, path, kid, you know, and my mom was like, embarrassed at the time but you know now she looks back and she's like you know that was one of the proudest moments of my life like for him to say that even though it you know the timing wasn't that good but we're going back a little bit so yeah I always knew that I wanted to do it and um you know I got you know school I did terrible I was a terrible student I always uh say school was beneath me man it was beneath me I just didn't have the time for it I was just terrible and but I always knew that I wanted to be a cop so I knew that I you know I had to keep it, keep it clean. And which was a good thing because I knew, you know, what would prevent me from going there. You know what I mean? I knew if I got into trouble or I was hanging around with the wrong crowd and not saying that I didn't have fun in school or I didn't do stupid shit. I, I certainly did, but you know, it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like in, in the gangs running the streets or right. anything like that. Right. I knew that it was up and I was in JRTC all through school for the Marine Corps. And my plan was I'm going to join, I was going to join the military and then I was going to become a cop. It, cop was always what I wanted. That was always a long-term goal, but I felt like the military was something that I, that I needed to do. Don't, don't ask me why I, you know, my parents never pushed it on me. And I think, and they never pushed being a cop on me either. And I think now looking back, I think it was them not pushing it on me is why I wanted to do it so much. You know what I mean? I think, a lot of people were like, this is what you're going to do. You know what I mean? They, they, they don't want to do it and they never pushed it on me. And I think that's why I wanted to do it so bad. But I ended up, um, joining the army, my senior year of high school, um, with an option 40 contract because I wanted to be a ranger. And I had a terrible, terrible, terrible breakup. I mean, classic, you know, like your first love, like first love in high school, right? terrible. Breakup. And, I was so, and this is going to sound like really stupid, but I'm telling you it's true. And I, I, I can't, I can't prove this, but I'm telling you it's true. I got like so sick after this breakup, like just so sick. Like, I mean, like ill. And I think my immune system got so compromised, like stressing about this girl. I ended up coming down with like severe mono, like terrible mono. So two weeks before I was supposed to go to MEPS, um, I went into the patients first because I just felt terrible. And they were like, you need to go to the hospital right away. Your white blood cell count is out of control. And they were like, if you didn't come in here, probably within the next three days, you would have died. So I was in the hospital in intensive care for like three and a half weeks. And I was like 185 pounds when I went into the hospital. When I got out, I was like 148. Like I, it, I mean, it just really took its toll. Anyway, sob story long story short um i couldn't go to maps so because i got sick so then once i got better i went right back and they were like hey we can get you in but we can't get you the option 40 contract anymore and i was like screw this i'm going to go join the marines then i'll go do the recon thing because i was rotc for the marine corps all through school why i wanted to be a ranger i think it was just because of my dad i think but my mom was like listen hon she's like do me a favor. She's like, I want you to go on a ride along with one of my friends. She's like, if you, if you don't like the ride along, you, 
you know, I'll support this a hundred percent and you can go join the Marine Corps and, and do whatever. And I was like, all right, mom, you know, whatever, I'll do this just to pacify my mom. Cause at least if I do this, you know, she'll be happy and we can say that I did. And I checked the box and the guy that I rode with, he just retired a couple of years ago. His name was um, John Ryan. Incredible, incredible guy. He taught me pretty much everything I know about being a police officer. And I, you know, even with my dad, my dad was a homicide detective my, my entire life growing up. So like his work was very, you know, hush hush for me and my sister. There wasn't like, you know, the patrol thing where we got to go and see him in a uniform all the time. He never was like from the, from when I was born, he was already a detective. So we, I never got to see, you know, the patrol side of everything. And obviously, you know, with his work and I'm sure, you know, being a detective too, like, you know, my dad's not sitting there talking to me and my sister about open, you know, homicide investigations that are going on and stuff. So I didn't really know that much. And I, I went on this ride along and I remember, man, the first call that we went on that day, it was a domestic, turned out to be like an eviction or, or a domestic escort. And this Russian woman was throwing her husband out of the house and we get there. And she's, you know, a, a busty broad in her, in her like white beer shirt. And she's throwing everything out of the house. And I'm watching these, these grown men try to mitigate this. Well, her husband comes out, he's naked. And this parakeet, like this tropical bird comes flying out of the house, right? Like in that they had in this like bird box and she threw the cage and it broke the cage and this bird comes flying out. And I was like, dude, this is really the greatest, you know, this is the front row seat to the greatest show on earth, man. Like this is, this is awesome. Like this is so cool. And then I heard about the SWAT thing. My dad was an attack guy. You know what I mean? And I knew about SWAT and stuff, but. I didn't know what, I didn't really, you know, have like a go-to source to talk about it, you know, aside from things that I saw on TV, you know, which don't do it any justice whatsoever, but I, it just, it just clicked. I mean, it, it everything just kind of, like, I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, it was almost, it, I call it, like you said earlier, serendipity. Well, for the listeners, if you don't know what serendipity means, it means like a happy accident, right? And that's kind of like how I felt. It was a happy accident and I mean, I was in, so I was 18 and I just had to find somewhere to kind of buy my time in the meantime until I could get hired and, and go through the academy. And that worked out good too, because I ended up working for um, special police. So for University of Maryland um, hospital. And I, I got to go there. My, my family had some connections with, with some of the guys that they, they knew my family from the police department. The guy was retired and he was running, you know, their, their protective service you know, for the hospital. So they got me in. They're like, Hey, well, you know, we'll bring him in. And I, I was pretty young for sure. A lot of those guys were, that was their like retirement gig. Right. So, I mean, to be like an 18 year old kid surrounded by a bunch of like disgruntled, you know, 50 year old ex cops. I mean, that was an experience, but it was a really, really cool, cool experience. And I, I ended up working in the uh, behavioral health unit. So like the insane, insane asylum for all intents and purposes, and I really got to learn and see like mental health and it was just awesome, man. I mean, that was just, I mean, we could make a, we could do a whole podcast about my experience working at the insane asylum. Believe oh yeah. Me. But that, so anyway, I worked there, um, got hired, um, as a deputy when I was 20, I was the youngest one in my academy class and I actually turned 21 in the academy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. And, uh, yep. And and we'll get uh, here in a minute. We'll we'll careen through your your career there. Uh, the the nod to the the parakeet though. I don't know what it is about fucking cops and exotic birds, man. I feel like a lot of cops 
have stories about yeah. ex- about exotic, maybe not a bird, but an exotic animal of some sort. With the the, the parakeet specifically, so I was an I was an OIT, right, an officer in training, uh, green as grass. Uh, didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground, and uh, my FTO and I are responding to a uh, suicidal uh, juvenile female. And I remember looking at him and being like, dude, I don't want to screw this up, man. Like you're, you're a SWAT negotiator. Will you take this one? And he, as a good FTO would, he goes, no, right. <laughs> you're yeah. going to, you're going to take it. Uh, yeah. and if it gets worse, then you've got a negotiator there already, but no, you're going to, you're going to work through it. So I was like, oh shit. Okay. Um, and, uh, I start talking to this girl and maybe an hour goes by and I finally get to talking to her about, uh, she mentioned something about birds, and I was like, oh, you've got birds. That's cool. And the next thing I know, and I have a picture of it. I'll send it to you when we get done. I've got a parakeet sitting on my shoulder, and I was just – I looked at her. I was like, hey, is this thing going to, like, poop on my uniform? And she was like, mm, I don't know. Like, <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. probably. So, but, yeah, you're, uh, the, the parakeet story had me, uh, had me dying, man. Everybody's got uh, a good wild animal all, story. <laughs> for sure. I, uh, it's funny. I'm not jumping ahead, but um, – people you can google this when you're done but I, I i came i became somewhat um famous in the local community but like totally like ball busted by all the guys in my agency because uh, last christmas i was on my way home from work and i was driving down like a major roadway like right near my house is you know there's obviously a major highway that, that's there and um nobody was there it was really late at night it was like i don't it must have been like 11 30 or something like that so nobody's really on the road and i I'm, I'm driving down the road and i see this car with their their high beams on and i'm like oh okay maybe they're broke down or you know maybe they hit a deer which isn't again that's not abnormal to see you know something like that and as i as i start pulling up i turn my lights on and this car peels out i'm like oh that's kind of weird whatever but as he peels out i start to see like what they were were stopping for and in the distance there's this huge thing like coming like i can see like through the shadow coming onto the roadway and then i see an even bigger thing next to it and i'm like what the hell is going on and as i look closer i'm like thinking like holy shit like this is a really big deer right no man there are two donkeys that just came out of the woods and are like now running down the roadway and um putting that out on the radio was probably like because i don't think anybody could believe what i said you know when i saw this i'm like hey right. listen i need I have two donkeys running down the side of the roadway and like, you know, these are big animals. If somebody hits these things, it's going to like do some serious damage to not only the animals, but potentially them and the car. And I'm like, Hey, we got to shut the roadway down and figure this, figure this out. But yeah, that was, uh, I made the news for that one. You, anybody who's listening, you can just Google, um, seller officer saves donkeys. And, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting read for sure. It's funny. <laughs> I, I had a, a buddy of mine when I was still working patrol, gets dispatched in his beat to a caller reports that there's a boulder in the road. And I'm like, ah, oh, he's going to need help moving this damn thing out of the road. This came off a landscaping truck or whatever. We see that all the time. These big trucks, they got these cranes on the back of them, carting these massive boulders around. So it's like, all right, let's just, we're going to roll this thing off to the side. And then I guess that's it. And I come around the corner and, and my buddy has a piece of lettuce in his hand and he's hunched over trying to convince this like 180 pound tortoise to continue walking through the roadway. <laughs> and dude, I just fucking was dying. That was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. I got to try and find, I, I don't know if there's body camera footage of it because it's not something that you'd have to like activate your body camera for. But in right. hindsight, it's so humorous. I hope I remembered to, but that was, uh, 
uh, some years ago, man. It was everybody's got some good animal stories, man. Tony, man, and you can't make this shit up. It's just no. it's fine. What I mean, it'll get you eventually. Exactly, so. exactly. Before we get too much further, man, we had a guy Steve come in with a question uh, in backgrounds for uh, CHP. Any tips for preparation for the academy? Now, I'm not too familiar. Uh, and Cole, I'm going to hijack the show here for just a skosh, man. But I think this is kind of both something that you and I, it's near and dear to our heart, helping these new guys out, man. Um, I'm not too familiar with uh, California police academies uh, in general. I, I'm not sure, you know, some of them, uh, some of them, it might as well be like Marine Corps boot camp. Um, and then some of them, it's like community college, but you go and work out 30 minutes a day type of thing. Um, so I would, uh, I would say definitely my biggest thing that I tell people is if you can find a YouTube video of your agency or at least of a similar agency, CHP is a, a pretty substantial organization with a, a pretty storied history. So I would imagine, uh, Steve, you can probably find something on YouTube as far as what their academy looks like um, or looked like. And academies 20 years ago, very different maybe than how it goes now. Um, uh, but if anything, 20 years ago, it, it might have been a little bit more um, – uh, challenging a little bit more of a, a kind of a shock to the system than, than the uh, more uh, and, and not, not shitting on it, but the adult learning that we do uh, nowadays. And, and that's not me being a smart ass. That's the, the term that's used at least out here. Um, so check out what CHP shows as far as Academy videos, just to kind of get your, get a forecast of what you might be going through and then start running, dude, hit, you know, um, get you a, a running coach. If you can, uh, if it's somebody that you know, that ran track and field, there is, We've all been told to run, but we've a lot of us were never taught to run. And then you get in the academy and you're running five to seven miles, and that's completely foreign to so many people. Um, uh, and if you want to get faster and build your cardio, that's where your sprint training is going to come in. Uh, you can't just go and run seven miles a day and expect to get faster, right? I mean, you, you will eventually, but uh, get your, your hit intervals in there um, as well. Uh, start learning how to shine boots and learn really, really well. Um, and then reach out to any officers that you know who are already on the job, man, and just kind of pick their brains a little bit. So I don't know, uh, Cole, if you got any other words of wisdom for somebody prepping for an academy. If it's California Highway Patrol, man, just watch the movie Chips. It'll teach you everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, and I'm sure we'll probably get into a little bit of that later because that's kind of like what the whole purpose of my page was. But, yeah, I mean, um, you know, ride-alongs are, are, are a great I think are really a great opportunity for you to go and like talk with guys. And obviously everywhere is different across the board. I think, you know, every, anytime you're talking with a state agency, I'd imagine it's going to be, and I don't want to speak for CHP because I don't know, but I can speak for Maryland state police. It's a very, very militaristic um, police style Academy. So, you know, just, you want to be kind of like the gray man, dude. You just want to, you know, blend in. You don't want to be the, the, the best. You don't want to be the worst. Just do what you're told, you know, definitely go hard on the PT and, and know what you're doing. You're, you know, you're only as fast as your, your slowest guy in the Academy. So teamwork is everything. And I'm sure that's something they're going to beat, beat into you in those academies is, you know, you're, everything's teamwork, yep. at least in an Academy. Yeah. Yeah. Establish that team and, uh, and understand you're going to get yelled at and screamed at, right? That's their job. It's that stress inoculation. Uh, don't quit week one, day one, just because you got somebody trying to ass you up and they're in your face. It's just, the, it's a game, man. It honestly, that's, they know hey, what man, they're, they, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. You broke up there. Go ahead. I mean, it's a game. And, and that's the point. If you can't, you know, everything and 
you know, I know this from being an instructor, you know, they'll go out and they'll laugh and, and do their things, you know, but in the moment, you know, they, they're, they're creating chaos in a controlled environment. And the whole purpose is if you can't handle chaos in a controlled mm-hmm. environment, how are you going to handle chaos in an uncontrolled environment? Right. So everything has a purpose. Everything has a meeting, you know, like the yelling and the screaming, they're like, why they got to yell and scream? Well, I'm telling you when shit's hitting the fan and you're dealing with a mass incident, people are going to be yelling and screaming and, they want to try to create that for you. So don't, don't overthink it. You know, just again, you want to be the gray man. I mean, that's how I was in my academy. I mean, I think when you go to different schools, it, it's a little bit different because they kind of take away the potential for you to be the gray man. But, you know, in the academy, you just, you just do as you're told, work as a team, make sure your, your, your shit's tight and your boots are bloused and polished and, and just be ready to rock and roll and just be a sponge, man. I, I, I think I look back now, and, and we'll talk about the academy in a minute too, but it's actually like the easiest part of being a cop, I think. Because like in the academy, you don't have to think for, for yourself. Everybody's telling you what to do. I mean, you have instructors say, hey, do this, do that, and just break it down, you know, one thing at a time. And like I said, I don't want to jump too far ahead because I know we'll talk about it, but just, just break things down. Like I'm not going to worry about, you know, this. I'm going to worry about the, the current evolution that we're working on. And then when that's done, it's easy. Because then when you're on your the road, and you're by yourself the first day. And I think all of us probably remember that, what it's like to be away from your FTO. It's you're by yourself. And now you're thinking for yourself and you're thinking by yourself. And it's like, holy shit. You know, at the academy, you look back and it's, it's easy. They can't kill you. I promise. Right. <laughs> and they don't want people to fall because I actually made a post about this on the salted rim, you know, months ago, but you know, it, you're an investment to them. They're spending good money on you, a lot of money. And they don't want people to leave because if somebody leaves, it's, that's money out of their pocket. You know, now bigger agencies, obviously, I think are probably a little bit different. They can afford to take the hit, but you know, one bite at a time, man, how we eat an elephant, right? Right. So, there you go. Well, and let's, let's jump into it, man. I mean, you, you were 20 when you went into the Academy, you turned 21 uh, while you were there, but what was your, uh, and we've touched on a little bit, but what was your Academy experience like? Um, I loved it. I mean, I, I truthfully, I mean, I, I love stuff like that. I love, I love challenging myself. I, I love the, the yelling and the screaming. I love the, the militaristic thing of, of all that. My, my academy in Maryland everywhere is a little bit different, but you know, the academy that I went to Harper County Sheriff's Office Police Academy, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good mixture of both. I mean, they're hard on the academics. You got to get an 80 on all your exams. You know, if you get a 79, you fail the exam. So you got to get an 80. So they do good with the academics, but it's very, militaristic you're constantly getting especially the first few months i mean you're getting hazed by the drill instructors you're learning all the military movements and you know left left and right base and you're marching and and doing all that really good stuff but and they're obviously you know they're mixing all this in with some good motivation and pt and and stuff like that i mean i loved it man i mean i i ate it up it's it was a really good time and i I would people are like i would never want to do it again I, I would do it again in a heartbeat, man. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And it was just really cool to, to be around, you know, my, my academy was small. So there was only 14 of us. And I think we only ended up graduating with 12, but it, it was really cool. Cause you got, and you, I still have relationships with all those guys. It's really cool to meet people. Cause I mean, you think for six and a half months, these people, you know, you're with them more than you're with your family. You know, and even when you're off, you know, you're talking to them and the group chats are going crazy, like all night long, people talking or worried about the exams. And 
you know, I, I loved it. I mean, it was a really, really, really good experience. And, you know, doing it younger and then, you know, being one of the younger guys there, I had a lot to prove, I think, to myself and, and to the people around me. And, you know, I mean, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I just really, really thrived in the academy, I think. Well, the academy is an interesting dichotomy of, of uh, humanity, really. And you look at who's there. I can remember thinking back to my academy class. I think we started with 42 or 43. Um, uh, Phoenix, the largest agency in the area next to Highway Patrol, um, puts through like 25 of the seats are automatically theirs. And this has now since changed. They've got their academy now all to themselves. Um, and then the other 25 seats at the time were were made up or a mixture of, of uh, surrounding agencies. And we had a, we had a I think at least one guy turned twenty one in the academy, um, and then we had a dude in there who was almost fifty. Yeah, you know you got this breadth of life experience or lack thereof, um, and and, uh, and you know different uh, different upbringings and I mean I, dude I'll be honest with you I grew up uh, in North Phoenix uh, in an upper middle class neighborhood man I mean you know kind of your typical suburban white kid. Um, in a police academy with a dude who was a long haul truck driver, a dude who grew up in uh, uh, more prominent gang areas of Los Angeles um, and, and then moved to Phoenix dudes who grew up in the gang areas of Phoenix. And they were going to work for an agency that was going to put them back in their own neighborhoods because that was the change that they wanted to try and make. Right. Um, uh, you know, people who had backgrounds, whose you know, families grapple with mental health. It was just, it was like a little bit of, a little bit of everything, right? It's that Peelian principle, Robert Peel's principles, uh, you know, the people are the police and the police are the people, right? So, um, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying though, with the, with the Academy being, you'd go back and do it all over again, uh, a, a year ago and some change. I was thinking about jumping over to the federal side, uh, after talking with some dudes and, and talking with my wife about it. And again, having a, having a child, uh, you got your own challenges, especially looking at a federal, uh, uh, posting and oh god, where are we going to end up in the United States? Uh, you know, somewhere along those lines. And my wife was like, "Do you really want to go through an academy again?" I went, "Yeah, you're going to pay me to work out and go to college, so that's not the end of the world, right?" <laughs> I think probably the federal side is probably a little bit more of a gentleman's course too. I don't think anybody yeah. would ever admit that. You know, that's just what I think. But it, yeah, man. I mean, it was a good time. And then you talk about you know, like people from different you know, backgrounds and groups. Yeah, the oldest guy in my academy, I think he was like 41 and he's a great guy. Great, great guy. Him and I are still very, 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 very close to this day. But it's funny, man, because you get, you know, everything, like we said, it's like a teamwork and it's an evolution thing. Well, part of the thing for my academy was, you know, now it's a little bit different. Now they have, you know, everybody comes in, you get your shirts and your t-shirts, you know, for PT. Well, back then it wasn't like we had to go to like Dick's Sporting Goods and try to find out everybody had, and everything has to be uniform, right? So like, I remember we had never met these people and we take our initial PT assessment to make sure everybody's good to go to the Academy, which will start the following week. So everybody's, you know, getting acquainted. And now we all are in Walmart trying to find matching shoes, matching shirts and matching shorts. And I remember being there with, you know, these 14 other people and you have 14 type A personalities trying to find matching shirts and pants. And it is, I mean, it was hysterical. It was, it was really funny to see how like everybody thinks and you got guys that are like, yeah, who really cares? Like, you know, we don't need it like this. And then you have people like, no, this is how we got to do it. And it. It was fun, man. We had this one day, like midway through our, our, our Academy, we, there's, and anybody from the sheriff's office that's listening to this, you know, please give me some grace. Cause it's, it's, it's been a hot minute now, but 
there's like four command inspections, right? And, and normally you, you fail every single one of them except for the last one, you know, and you put all that work in for the command inspection and they go smoky and they run you through the mud and everything like that. Well, for some wild reason, uh, class was like, listen, look, we are going to, you know, we're really going to show and take initiative. We're going to go out tomorrow. We're going to buy the shirt that we wear and the pants that we wear. And we're going to like, they're going to be brand new and they're going to look spotless because the shirts that they gave us are all hand-me-downs from the prior academies. Right. Which is kind of like the traditional thing. And, and, but they're like, no, we're really going to do this. We're going to, you know, take initiative. And, and I'm thinking to myself, and again, the class is divided, but I'm like, listen, look, you can only make shit look so good, right? They know that these uniforms are old. You know that these uniforms suck. Like the drill instructors know that. You can only make it look so good. And they're going to smoke us regardless. So we're going to go out. We're going to spend our own money, which, again, I'm not – and I'm, I don't care. You, I'm always – I always spend my own money for, for a lot of my stuff that I wear, but police-wise. But for the academy setting, I was, like, totally against it. So they were like, no, we're going to do this. Well, the next day – Half of them did it, and the other half of us didn't. So they come out there to inspection. They come out there and for inspection, and uh, yeah, half of everybody's you know all dolled up in nice uniforms, and the other half of us are in the old ones, and uh, we got smoked. But we were going to get smoked regardless. But it was it was funny. It was a good it was a good joke. Yeah, I can remember when uh, the first time you get to change out out here, you end up in in uh, your first. I don't know, half the time you're in the academy, you're in uh, black and whites, right? A white button down, black tie, black slacks, black polished boots, um, and I think just a black leather belt. And then you finally get to wear your uniform. You know, holy shit, like this is real. I'm in, I'm in my police uniform. And you get like a week or two into wearing your uniform and you feel like you're the coolest person to ever walk the face of the earth and they bust your ass back down into your black and whites under this giant spectacle in front of the other like junior classes you're just getting the ever-living shit smoked out of you <laughs> <laughs> you gotta earn this yeah exactly exactly uh so when uh when you graduate from the academy I and mean, what's your career how long have you been a police officer let's cover that one real quick 10 years 10 years ten okay years. october october 1st was 10 years nice well happy anniversary happy 10 years i hope you're Thank uh you. Hope your agency recognized your tenure commitment with like a ten dollar gift card to uh, your local grocery store or something like that. So, yeah, I think I got my uh, twenty five dollar gift card and a slice of cake and um, you know, a little bit of juice. Yeah, <laughs> slice of cake. You retire here, just slice of cake, man. You good? It was uh, our chief had a good one. Our chief retires in January, um, and he had a good one when one of our detectives retired a few months ago. And for whatever reason, we. So when you retire, we'll take your, your service pistol, your generally a Glock, and uh, they'll send it off to be laser engraved with the department logo and your badge number and, and all that good stuff. Um, and and knowing the, the whole process with, with FFLs and, and uh, you know, what part of the gun is actually the firearm, they'll leave the receiver, right? They'll leave the, the lower receiver, the trigger and the magazine, the, the parts that's the trigger in the magazine well. They'll leave that with the detective or they'll leave that with the firearms unit and they'll just send the slide off because you can just, like you can mail that shit. Um, right. But when they got it back, they never put the two back together again. And so the chief opened the box to give this detective his like engraved gun. And he was like, where's the rest of it? And the detective's like, Oh no, no, I, I, I have it. And the chief just looks at, at one of our ACs and is like, okay, when I retire, I want a whole gun, please. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But there was cake there. What there was cake. And hopefully in our <laughs> chief's retirement, there will also be cake. So, um, 
But uh, so you've been in for 10 years, man. What's your, uh, what's your career looked like over the last 10 years? Oh man. Well, I mean, again, I mean, I, w- I was so young and I think, you know, looking back now, I do not think I was 100% ready. You know, at the time I, I, you know, I had some experience, you know, like working at the hospital and everything like that, that I think really, really helped me. But when I got out of the Academy, I got put on the midnight shift, um, down one of our busier areas, but you know, the guys that were on this shift and I'm not knocking them by any means, but they were just, these were the midnight guys. I mean, you didn't get to pick where you went. They put you where, you know, people needed them. One guy had retired and that's, you know, that's the slot that they, they, they gave to me. And, you know, you're new and you're not going to bitch about working any shift that they give you. You're going to go wherever you, they, they send you. And I went there and it was just, again, I mean, they were older, older guys, you know, just salty. I'll, I'll use the word salty, not disgruntled, but they, and I don't think I really had, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about me- mentorship and stuff like that is because I, I didn't have that. And, you know, I had big shoes to fill, you know, because of my dad and, and everybody had known who my dad was as a detective. And, you know, so I think I kind of had that on me a lot with, with everything that I did that was always kind of, you know, in the back of everybody's mind and, you know, mine specifically, I probably put more pressure on myself than anything, but yeah, I mean, you know, I worked there for, for two years and, and it was tough, man. I mean, I really had to learn. I mean, you know, when you graduate from the academy, you know, you want to go out and, and be a cop, man. You want to get shit done. I mean, you want to get drugs and, you know, get into car chases and, and crack skulls and, you know, do all, do all that stuff. And it, it was just a different, it, it was different than what I thought it was going to be. I, I mean, that's probably a good way to say it. Like I, I had, you know, made up my mind my entire life. Like this is all that I wanted. Like this is what I want to do. And totally really shell shocked, I think. And it wasn't the job. It was the people that I was working with. It was that, it was that group of people. And I just, it seemed like everything that I did, like it just wasn't right. And, and now looking back now, you know, I can tell that I was probably, you know, immature for sure. in a lot of my, my decision-making, cause I, again, I, I didn't care. Like I just, you know, as long as we were locking up the bad guys, I didn't care how it was getting done or what we were doing. And I, that got me into some trouble for sure. But you know, you live and learn and, and you, and you get, you know, you get through it. But I, I think a lot of that was because, you know, there wasn't a lot of mentorship you know, that I had at that time. And I don't think the guys on that shift, you know, being on the midnight shift, these guys were, you know, ready to roll. You know what I mean? A lot of them had, you know, five, some years left until they retired and they didn't want to take the time to, you know, to deal with some, you know, 21 year old kid. And you know what I'm saying? So it it was, it was a wake up call, but in a way it was good because it humbled me a little bit. I got to learn and, you know, it wasn't really until, you know, somebody had pulled me inside and was like, Hey, you just need to slow down a little bit. You really need to slow down and you need to really like think about the things that you're doing and, and what's going on. And, you know, up until then, you know, I'd never, nobody had ever really said anything like that to me. So that kind of helped a little bit. And then yeah, that first year, uh, Freddie Gray got killed uh, down Baltimore city. And we were, we deployed down there for the riots for two and a half weeks. So that was kind of, that, that was an event and that was cool. So we can talk a little bit about that if you want to, it's whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I dive right into it, man. Cause that's something that, I mean, we, 
out here in Arizona, we saw public unrest uh, in the in the wake of George Floyd. Um, uh, Phoenix got it. Uh, I didn't have to go to Phoenix. I ended up staying in our own city. And our we never had a riot. It, it truly was. It was a protest. Everybody uh, highlighting the the good relationship. I'm lucky, man. The highlighting the good relationship that my department has with our community. Like everybody stayed on the sidewalk, so they weren't blocking a public thoroughfare, which is a misdemeanor offense in Arizona. Um, the the organizers were constantly like moving up and down the 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 protest line, making sure that everybody was doing what they were supposed to and checking in with us. Like, Hey, are we still good? We had the, the one guy that got arrested uh, that I can think of during at least my time on the protests um, wasn't even protesting. He had been a DUI driver who got processed and released and he walked to the nearby Burger King and like Van Dam kicked the front fucking door in and blo- broke the glass. <laughs> and so when we got over there, cause we're not sure like, Oh shit, is the Burger King going to like catch fire now is like, what's going on. Uh, and we get over there and the people who are pointing out the bad guy are the ones holding all the a cab signs. We're like this, I, whatever. I don't, I don't understand this, but thank you dear citizen for your, for your input. And I'm glad that you're pointing out the bad guy. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, vastly different experience I mean, sure, like Phoenix had its issues with the protests and, and, and the riots. Uh, Scottsdale um, had their mall. Uh, some social media influencer decided to go to Scottsdale to this big-ass mall that they have there, and it just created a firestorm. They, and they literally had lit the fucking mall on fire. But that was a contained environment, right? Whereas at back east, it looked a lot different, but I don't have that firsthand knowledge you were there. So yeah, tell us a little bit, a little bit about, um, I mean, yeah, take it back to the Freddie Gray and, and kind of talk uh, from there forward. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I mean, that happened and it just, I mean, the city was just, it was just on fire. I mean, that's, that's the best way I can describe it. I mean, they just, it was full on just looting assaults, you know, just like left and right, you know, and they were burning the city. I mean, they were literally burning the city and the firefighters were going down there and then trying to put out the fire. And while they were doing this with the hose apparatus, they were coming out in masks and cutting the hoses. And it, it was just, I mean, it was just a mess. I mean, every police department in the state of Maryland and from outside agencies, Pennsylvania state police came. I think they had some guys from Virginia. Um, they had a national guard. Um, 21st SFSG was, was the, attached to, to us when we went there and, you know, I don't know if they were carrying live ammo. Most of the National Guard down there wasn't carrying live ammo, but they, it, it looked like they were. So they had the military there. They had us, and it was just really trying to bring the city, you know, kind of back to heel almost. And, I mean, and we got into it, I mean, as much as we possibly could. We had a couple guys take some bricks. Um, I think the worst thing that happened to me is I took a tuna sandwich to the head. <laughs> Somebody put a sandwich at me. Geraldo Rivera was down there, you know, marching down the street and, it was just a really, again, you know, to be 21 and see all this, it was just nuts. And how everybody, so we staged, the staging area was um, M&T Bank Stadium. So right at the Ravens, and obviously I'm a, I'm a diehard Ravens fan. But everybody, you know, that's that's where we had staged and the governor was there. And that was really cool. Like, that was really cool to see just all the cops come together. And it was just really, really neat. And they would kind of go out. And that's kind of how it worked is a, a, a chunk of them would go out and go over to different you know areas around the city in support of, of Baltimore City Police. And, and God bless those guys for, I, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, what they had to, to deal with, you know, with all that. But 
And then, you know, we would be back there and pretty much all we did was sit around and eat until they were like, Hey, it's time to roll. And we went down to Fed Hill and, you know, I mean, just the typical, you know, crazy protest. I mean, it wasn't anything, you know, I would say like too crazy that went on. I mean, definitely, definitely some good fights. And it was really cool to see, you know, the training lesson that we were able to take from this is, you know, we hadn't done riot training, you know, in forever. I mean, like even our department as a whole, like there hadn't been riots like that. I don't think since Rodney King was killed. Um, I mean, you saw a little bit of it a couple of years prior in Ferguson when Michael Brown was killed, mm-hmm. but you know, at least that, that didn't spark up on our end. So the riot training, I don't think it was. So anyway, so that, that just sparked a whole SOP of, of uh, mobile task force and how we were going to handle riots. And it was just really, really, really neat to, to be a part of and do. I, I was down there twice and then we ended up going back, you know, after George Floyd, you know, protest, you know, went down back there again, but I, that was a, that was a little bit different, but yeah, it was just nuts, man. I mean, they were just throwing shit off of, of, of buildings and bricks. Uh, like I said, they were cutting the fire apparatus in half. I mean, just breaking into stores. And there was really, you know, not. I remember we went down to Fed Hill and we were so spread out that night. It was me. Everybody went in different directions, and it was on this one corner. They're like, "Hey, you guys got to hold this corner, and nobody can give this corner up." you know, to protect the rest of the line where the, where the main protest was going on. And it was just this huge street corner. And it's me, a Pennsylvania state trooper who I've never met before in my life. And a Maryland state trooper, you know, who was just on the job as long as I was. And we were down there. We were like, what the fuck is going on? You know what I mean? Like, what are we going to do? And, uh, it ended up working out good. That's when I took a turkey sandwich to the, uh, or a tuna sandwich to the, uh, to the back of my helmet there. But yeah, we made it work and it was really cool to be a part of. And, you know, I think it lasted, I think probably for another, two weeks after that but to, to see just to see like the show of force and to see all the agencies come together like that i mean it just made you proud and it, it made you proud to be a marylander too i mean the, the governor larry hogan who was the governor at the time i mean he was there every day shaking hands with everybody i mean it was just a really really cool thing and you you really felt like you were doing something and i remember you know the I was down there, I think two days after it started, but I remember the first day watching it, you know, my mother and, and my, my girlfriend at the time and seeing it, I just, you know, you see that and you see all those cops down there. And I think, I think I speak for the majority of us when I say this, but like, you just want to be there. You just want to go, you know what I mean? I remember watching them and watching the fire and everything and being like, I would get like, I would give my left arm to just be down there with them. You know what I mean? It's like, even if we're not doing anything, just to be there, just to support them. It, so, but I, you know, I got my opportunity and it, it was, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember the, the day that in my department, I would say about half the people in my department got called in for, it was like 14 or 15 days straight. Um, Cause they'd work their shift and then they'd end up getting called in over their weekend. And then they'd work their four day, get called in over the weekend. Uh, I think I only got called in once, uh, once or twice. Cause again, what we had in our suburb of Phoenix wasn't really anything too crazy. Um, but I can remember getting called down there and being like, Oh, holy shit, this is real. And I remember texting my team, the, uh, the YouTube clip from uh, black Hawk down when he's like fucking Irene. Cause that's their code word to go. And, and yep. it is a weird thought i mean looking back again i don't know if it's if it's maturity or i I don't know what i mean i uh 
my son was was very new. Uh, like the idea being a dad was still new to me. I don't know that it necessarily registered when when that adrenaline kick hits. You're like, oh fuck yeah, we're gonna go do this. And I think that's the one thing that that unites so many officers, dude. Is like everybody that I talk to who's been a cop since at least 2020 all experienced the that that shifting of the national narrative the the like out and out uh you'd get the occasional like absolute just nastiness and again different different areas it was probably much more constant than it was out here um but uh it's like every cop that's been a cop since at least 2020 has has a story or, or was somehow involved in, in counter protest operations. And it's like the one thing that we all have in common aside from being police officers. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think um, it's funny. You, you mentioned the black Hawk down clip, but there's the scene where uh, um, Randy Sugar and Gary Gordon are, are going in and they're like, uh, they take, um, what's the pilot's name? I'm going to kick myself in the ass for Mike oh, Durant. Mike they, Durant. Yep. They take Mike Durant back and they're like, He's like, where's the rescue squad? We're like, it. We're it. We're it. Like, that's how we felt that quarter, man. And I remember my buddy, and we were like, where's the rescue squad at? He's like, we're it. But, uh, yeah, it does, man. It really does. It makes you um, it makes you proud, I think, for, for stuff like that. And I think when it's at home, you know, I, I think it just it hits different. You know what I mean? Like, And you really do see it. And I think the mainstream media has done such a bad job at Obviously, I mean, like, again, that could be a whole other podcast, you know, talking about what the mainstream media does to police. But it, there really are good people down there. There really are good people in Baltimore City who, who really do love the police and need the police. And to go down there and see that firsthand, you know, people coming up and bringing us food and water. And, like, you know, these are business owners and, and people who have lived there all their lives with their family. Like, you know, they don't want their block, you know, destroyed. And, and they really do appreciate and, you know, when you're there in that moment, you really do, you do, you feel like you're doing something. You feel like, you know, hey, this is like, this is the thin blue line, right? Like, we are literally the line right now. Like, literally, we are the line. So, it, it, it's it's cool. Well, and, and presents different opportunities, right? Because I remember even still, even still patrolling around. In 2020, the, I think our calls for service, at least in our city, dipped by like 25%. So, there were days where you wouldn't get maybe you'd maybe get one or two calls uh, a day as far as uh, going out and taking paper, but um, going into, to, you know, local gas stations or whatever. And everybody is 2020, right? We're all masked up. We're all also dealing with COVID, but it's like half the people there are, you know, rah, rah, we love you guys. And, and at least out here, the other half have this, I don't know, uh, appearance of indifference or, or they just sort of ignore you. And I just took the yeah, like people would look at you sideways and just take the opportunity, not being a smartass about it, be like, "Hey, how are we doing? Is there anything that right. you want? To, is there anything you want us to see, or that you want to see us doing better?" And the the community engagement that you'd get out of that with people who otherwise would probably never speak to a police officer, and more than once having those conversations with people in a gas station parking lot, be like, "Actually, you guys are doing a pretty good job." Like, "Okay, cool. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. If there's anything else that we can do, like..." You know our number. Please don't call nine one one. We have a different phone number for you to use. You know, but but the opportunity again for community engagement to show that hey, we're not we're not that guy, right? Uh, and like we kind of don't judge us by the the sum or the you know the the whole of our parts type of thing, or don't judge us by by one single 
person's behavior by any means and uh, and just being able to have that that outreach, especially with everything else that was going on. I mean, 2020 was a shitty year that I think we all want to just control all delete. Right. So, um, yeah, man, it was it was a wild it was a wild year for sure. I uh, it's funny because like there's that meme that came around. It was like, you know, everybody was like so hype on like, you know, first responders and stuff for 2020. I mean, for the most part, you know, more or less like the medical staff for sure. But right. That meme, it was uh, Steve Carell from The Office, and he had, like, his mullet. He's, like, per- person thanking me for my service, you know, during the pandemic. And right. it's, like, all shaking his hands like me, who sat in my car and watched Netflix the entire <laughs> yeah. that That sums it up pretty good, I think. You know? Yeah, because our call volume dropped significantly. I mean, significantly. Which wasn't, like, a, the worst thing in the world. I mean, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, because, like, we went, we flipped our schedule because, like, they wanted to limit exposure. So it was, like, our normal schedule is four on, two off. Well, this one, they wanted us to limit. So it was three on, three off. And you got paid for that, that fourth day regardless. So you were getting, like, a three-day weekend every single week, and you were getting paid for that extra day. Short of, like, obviously, if some, some shit broke down, you'd have to, you were expected to go in. So, you know, you couldn't be, you know, at the, uh, you know, you couldn't be at home drinking. You know, right. you know, none of the, none of the saloons were open, but it, it was, um, it was cool, man. I mean, but it, it, it got old pretty quick too. I'll, I'll say eventually you're just like, what the hell, you know, it was just nuts. Yeah. Time. Well, and right, right when we were coming to a close with all of that, I mean, I moved into the detective bureau January of 21. So I haven't really been back on the road much. I've, I've uh, gone out with a, a couple of buddies here, here and there or, uh, you know, jumped in a car, um, once or twice to go and, and shag some calls. But, um, what, have, what does your, uh, career look like? Uh, I mean, in the, in the meantime, man, what do you see yourself doing now and what do you see yourself doing in the future? Uh, well, you know, it's, I like to say the door is kind of always open for me. I, I, I'm not just, you know, I don't discount anything. I do have an opportunity to switch over to the federal side and uh, I'm, you know, talking, you know, at home and stuff, I, I might be really following through with that. I think, you know, for the marshal service, that's something that I've, I've really interested in more or less for their, their special operations group and stuff like that. Now, um, you know, well, I guess, you know, if we, if, you know, backing up, you know, I, I had lateral, I left the sheriff's office and went to another agency like two years in, um, more or less for the, the tactical side of things at the time are, are the agency that I was working for. They, you know, the SWAT guys, it was, it was a, um, you know, it's just the greatest gig in the world. You know what I mean? Like if you're into that kind of things, I mean, you work out and you go to calls and, and that's pretty much it. I mean, guys get in that position, you know, they want, they don't want to leave. You know what I mean? And I, I really can't blame them. So at the time it was like, so like, you know, where, where I worked, you know, obviously there's the county agency that is like the predominant law enforcement force for the county, but because of my, my county size and everything like that, we have municipality um, police departments to obviously do the, you know, the, the population size and, and stuff like that. So I left for one of the municipality agencies. And at the time, all the municipality agencies had a, all of them together contributed to a municipal SWAT team, right? So we would operate in, not just in my municipality, but their municipalities as well. So that was very appealing to me. So I went over there more or less for that, for sure. And then, you know, that's kind of been like, that's why I became a cop. I mean, I became a cop because I wanted to do um, tactical operations and stuff like that. I, I never really had any interest in, you know, 
the detective side of things. So don't, don't knock me for that. That just wasn't my bread and butter. Like I said, I was, uh, school was beneath me. So it's like, I didn't, um, I didn't want to go down that route, but you know, it's following that. It's been good to me, man. I mean, my agency's done a really good job at providing me, you know, with all kinds of trainings and stuff to, to kind of get to where I want to be. So now I'm, I'm running, I'm the team leader for our tactical element for my agency. And, you know, I'm, it's growing. Our capabilities are changing. Our mission set is changing a little bit from what it was. And I think it's in a good way. So, yeah, as far as the future moving forward, I definitely see that, you know, getting better and, and getting bigger. And, you know, I, I kind of fronted that entire thing for my agency because the municipal team had, had broken up due to funding and budget issues. And that was, I mean, that was just so devastating. Believe me, for me, like it was so, uh, I think I was on the team for like two weeks when, when it shut down. And uh, it was just, it was just terrible because, you know, you leave an agency to kind of go over there and then you finally get it and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And like, I was literally going in to like get my locker and they were like, hey, sorry, the team shut down. So and that's gonna, like, oh, no. I know, man. You're just like, I can't, like, I remember my buddy, he called me and uh, I was like, you, I know you're fucking with me. Like, I know this is a joke. He's like, dude, I'm telling you, it's not a joke. And uh, it, it wasn't a joke. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of went down, but me and a couple of the other guys who were on that team were like, Hey, our, our agency still needs something like this. There still needs to be something like this in place. So what we built um, was something really, really unique. And, and we can certainly dive into that, but it, it it's definitely a, a really cool thing. And we, we kind of, you know, fronted that and, and we wanted to build a culture and stuff along with it. And that's been really cool. So I definitely want to continue on with that because it's still growing. It's, it's, that thing's kind of like my baby. So, you know, just like any kid, you know, you just, it grows and you're, you're, you're doing your best. And yeah, so that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I mean, I still work patrol. It's not a full-time capacity yet. Um, so I'm, I still work criminal patrol, um, regularly. And that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of where we are. Well, and, and take a few minutes, give us the rundown of, uh, of this new team and, and what you've uh, created out there in, in response to uh, emerging trends and threats and also, I mean, uh, you know, kind of building off of what came before. Sure, yeah. So uh, I think, you know, pri- primarily, you know, a SWAT team is, is to do things like, you know, barricades and high-risk warrant services and obviously other, other things too. I mean, every, everywhere is different. Every, every team has their, you know, standard SOPs of what they can and can't do. We, you know, the town that I work in, the population is extremely large, but the town in, in square mile radius is extremely small. So it's 2.9 square miles, but we serve a population of over 18,000. So it's a very, very small area, but it's very, very dense. And the, the town that I, that I work in, it's like, this is the town in Hartford County, um, it's Bel Air, Maryland. That's where everything is. So like all the malls, all the shopping centers, the bar scene, the, the strip is down there, all the parades, all the events that the county does, it's always in Bel Air. So what we came up with is while we don't have the capabilities to do certain things like a full-time SWAT team does and like it was before, you know, obviously, if there's something major, we would have to pass that off to the bigger agency. But what we can facilitate is having an immediate, like, quick reaction team for active shooters or hostage rescues or low-risk low, low risk warrant services. And 
we kind of fronted that with all the special events that the town does. So like, you know, I'll just give you a couple, like we do a huge 4th of July thing, a huge Christmas parade, a huge, you know, uh, 10K run every year for Thanksgiving. And we were like, there is no tactical element in place if something like this happens. Like if something like Boston happened, like there was a bombing or there was an active shooter, you do not have a team. You have patrol officers that, that will surely go, hopefully, you know, but you don't have a, a, a small contingent of operators that can respond really quickly and either minimize the threat or at least contain it until we can get a bigger agency in there to, to go. And then obviously we would backfill and assist with, you know, the larger agency for whatever they would need. But that's really the way that we had stood it out and it's since evolved. So now it's, we do a lot of, like I said, the, the town that we work in, it's, it's, it's a huge shopping district and it's huge for commercial stuff. So, you know, we do a lot of the, the retail theft details and stuff like that. And what I mean by that is we'll go and we'll be in plain clothes and we'll stage. We'll do a lot of reconnaissance as far as, you know, surveilling vehicles or surveilling people. We have theft rings that come from, I mean, you name it, theft rings that come from, you know, Baltimore City all the way from theft rings that come out from Philadelphia, you know, to hit some of these stores either with counterfeit money or, or just major snatch and grabs. So what we've kind of evolved into now is, is more or less like what I'd, I'd probably refer to as a more tactically oriented street level crimes unit. So we'll be in there in plain clothes. We'll have a, um, you know, a hit crew outside ready to rock and roll where we can do a vehicle takedown or something like that. And obviously ultimately who it benefits is, is the patrol officers, right? It benefits the patrol officers and the detectives because we are trained to a much higher level than they are. And I'm not saying that they're not, they're not trained. Well, we just are, are given the opportunity to do much more advanced training. So they always have that at their disposal. And that's huge when it comes to any sort of tactical contingency that could take place. So whether somebody pulls out a gun or there needs to be a, like a vehicle ruse or something like that involved, you know, we'll, we'll be able to, to mitigate that quickly. And then in addition to that, some of the guys on the team, are deputized to be part of federal task forces. So our area of operations is, is massive. It's not, we're not just confined to the town, you know, for the, the U S marshal service, um, Northeastern fugitive task force. Like, you know, we, we can go pretty much anywhere where we're, we're, we would be needed uh, essentially. So if something happened, let's say, in you know, Cecil County, which is the next County over, you know, into Pennsylvania and they needed, you know, an element to go, we would go. So that, that's been really cool. And that's something that's, that's extremely new. And we're still trying to get used to all that. Cause obviously, you know, patrol takes priority trying to mitigate manpower and stuff, but that's kind of what the team is. It's called, um, Met. So it's the mobile, mobile enforcement team. And it's, it's neat, man. It's, it's still, uh, it's still a work in progress. I like to say, um, but, but we're getting there and it's, you know, we've, we've, We've had a few operations thus far that have been, you know, luckily very, very successful. So I think we're going to, I think as the year, this year specifically, as this goes, it's going to be something really special. And again, when we did this, I wanted to create like a culture to it. Like I didn't, you know, and I'm sure you can probably relate as well, but we, another function of the team is we facilitate all the tactical training for the agency. So like, everybody that's on the team is an instructor. So either firearms or like myself, I'm a defensive tactics instructor, you know, we'll be able to give that to back to the agency. And, and 
a lot of our guys, you know, they're older, they're on their way out the door. You know, they, they don't want to do stuff like that. And that's not knocking them. It's just that they're so set in their ways and it's like, Hey, you know, we don't, we don't need anybody telling us this. And again, I, I disagree with that kind of mentality, but I think there's just a certain way you can approach people like that in a way that they would understand. But at the same time, when we get newer people that are coming in, this is something that has been set in stone. So like when they get 15 years in, they're not going to know any different, right? Like this is something that's, that's established. And, you know, it, for them, it's going to be like, well, this is the way we've always done it. And they don't, it's nothing new for them, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, Again, it's uh, built into their their understanding of the job, right? Like you said, it's the way we've always done it. Um, it's uh, you know, and I, I still get it every now and then I'll encounter an officer who remembers remembers a time before body cameras, and my whole response is, "Yeah, I've never known a day without mine." You know, I was I was damn near issued. The only reason they didn't issue me a body camera the same time that they issued me a gun is because I needed to shoot in the academy. I didn't need to demonstrate proficiency on a body camera in the academy, right? But uh, it's I have right. never. I've never known any different, uh, right? And again, you know, therein, um, you mentioned, uh, you know, doing the work um, in in conjunction, I believe, with uh, with the detectives or or getting them trained up. Not knocking us at all, man. As a detective, I can tell you that those those skills are indeed perishable. Those things that I did every day on patrol, clearing houses, uh, going hands on with people, making arrests. Uh, deploying on a high risk traffic stop. Those are things that I don't do anymore outside of training with any or with any great frequency. Um, and it uh, it really is. It comes down to where you're sitting there. You know, we, we'll go to serve a, a, a warrant that is uh, I don't want to say no risk, but certainly low risk. Right? It doesn't doesn't even meet the threshold of our of our SWAT team or our. Uh, we have a, a unit similar to yours that that'll come out um, or, or perhaps they're busy and Hey, we got to just, we're still cops. we got to serve our own warrant. Um, but you do sit there and you, you take a step back and go, okay, all right, well, Hey guys, like this is real. We have to remember what we're doing, not talking down, but it is helpful. Um, if not, I mean, downright required anymore to have a unit uh, similar to that. Um, and my agency is working on standing up another unit, sort of that street level, um, crimes, uh, uh, that's not what they're going to call themselves, but a street level crimes unit that again, those, those officers, uh, just knowing the people that are interested in it will be inherently more tactically proficient than somebody who's been in the detective bureau too long. Right. And I I shouldn't say too long, right? Because you know, the other side of that coin is, there are, uh, there are dudes in other areas of our department or guys on patrol or on SWAT who would go, yeah, I don't, I'm not comfortable handling an entire homicide investigation or an entire sexual assault investigation that, no, you go do that. That's your job. So it, again, it takes, uh, takes all kinds, but good on you guys for, for having the wherewithal to stand it up and good on your command for, for kind of giving you the, uh, the leeway and the freedom to stand that unit back up. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, I mean, it definitely took some time, man. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, we have a new deputy chief who was really instrumental at, at, at bringing this forward. He came from a, uh, a federal agency. So, you know, having him and, and, you know, him, I think, kind of understanding the need for that, you know, where he came from. I mean, that was huge. And, you know, nobody wants we're living in the day and age like I'm, I'm sure, you know, where you know, everything's scary and, you know, police militarization and so many things that, you, you know, you could just go down the rabbit hole and talk about. But it's like, look, I, 
you know, like what we, what we had got down with them and we said, it's not, it's not if, I mean, it's when, I mean, you can look around, you know, in the last three years in my area and some of the active shooters that we've been a part of and the active shooters that have taken place, like it, it's going to happen. And what I don't want is for, you know, something like this to be put on the table and for you guys to say, okay, this isn't, this isn't, a, this isn't a necessity. And it's, it's, I think we are, we're, we're so past that now, not just where, where I work, but, but policing in general, like there needs to be something like that in place. And if there isn't, you have to make sure that your patrol officers are, are going to be given extra time and, and more advanced training. And again, you know, that all comes down to, to budgeting and money. But when you have a group of people, I think that are, you know, passionate about something and, and really want to try to make this work, not to look cool, but to to benefit the agency, you know, I, it's something that people really need to take seriously and look at. And I'm, I'm glad that we were moving in that direction because this, you know, my agency's celebrating their 150 year anniversary. And this is something that has never been done short of being part of the municipal, you know, SWAT team for all those years. I mean, this is the closest thing that, that they have ever done themselves. So this is a, a huge step forward. I mean, I, I believe, you know, moving forward in, in our agency and, you know, the town that we work in. Yeah, absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more with you. Um, and again, I mean, good on you guys and your staff for, for standing the Met up. Uh, I do want to take the last uh, 15 minutes or so here um, and talk about uh, kind of what brought you and I together. And that's that's your drive. And you've mentioned it a little bit with everybody on your on your Met team there being being a trainer, uh, but your drive to uh, to get some education out there for the the new guys, not only and, and to the listeners. I catch myself all the time. I say new guys. I don't just mean males specifically. The new people coming into law enforcement um, uh, anymore. I, I use guys pretty much uh, interchangeably, regardless of uh, whether you're male or female. But uh, the new folks coming in, the people that are just curious, you know, hitting you up on social media. Uh, what is it that drove you down that path of, hey, I, I want to get the new breed in here, right? The the new blood and, and uh, get them the information that they need to cultivate success. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit like we talked about earlier. I think, you know, when I sort of going on that ride along, I mean, there was nothing, there really weren't a lot of resources out there. Right. I mean, you, you gotta be 18 years old to go on a ride along and, you know, there's not a lot of books about police prep. You can go, you know, there's plenty of podcasts about military prep and, and people that have, you know, stepped out and filled that role. And I remember the day that I created the page, I was just looking, you know, some of it was really bad information. And some of it, I was like, you know what, I could do this. And I could probably do it a little bit better, I think, than, than how some of these people are facilitating this. So that's kind of what drove me to, you know, kind of start the page and, and start the mentoring thing. Because again, I, you just don't see a lot of that, you know, for, for law enforcement or, or corrections. And when I say law enforcement, I just don't mean the police side. I mean, you know, corrections as well. And, um, I mean, even, like I said, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a hose beater by any means, but you know, there, there's really not, there's not a lot out there. So I, I kind of wanted to give back and, and talk to people and say, Hey, listen, like, you know, if you have questions or you, you need, you know, food for thought or, or, anything as far as, you know, fitness goals. I'm a certified personal trainer. So if there's things that you're struggling with, with the PT test or just general questions where, you know, you want to know, like I wanted to make myself open, you know, to do that and give back because 
the world, I mean, it is what it is. I, I think it's, it's a tough day and age, you know, to be a cop. I mean, it really, really is. It's not like it was, you know, I think back in the day and, you know, you hear all the, you know, the glory stories of like the good old days and the good old boys that is, is done. I mean, it's, it's just done. I mean, you still get a little bit of camaraderie here or there, but even now I think it's, I feel like it's like pulling teeth, you know, to try to get that feel. So if we could create a community of people that, you know, truly wanted to learn and were truly expressing an interest, you know, why wouldn't you? And, you know, I, I think back to myself where coming in as such a young guy and being around such, such older people who didn't even want to give that the time of day. I remember, you know, thinking like, you know, I don't want to do that. You know, I, I remember just idolizing my instructors, you know, when I went through my SWAT schools and stuff like that and being like, man, like, you know, daydreaming about like one day I would be in their shoes instructing some guy who looked at them like, I, you know, that, that, that I was looking at them. And I, I really wanted, you know, people to have that. And it's, it's been very, very successful, man. I mean, we've had people, you know, reach out from, from the UK. And, and while I'm certainly not a and in, in France, Germany, I mean, it's been really, really successful how, how cool social media is. And I'm, I'm certainly not an influencer by any means, but it's been really neat to see how many people are just having these questions. And again, I can't speak on how police academies are ran in, in Australia and the UK and, and France by any means, but you have people that have, we all have something in common and it's, it's that drive and it's that passion for the job. And, and that is the same across the board. We might do things differently as far as our SOPs and stuff go, but you know, the, the way to get there, I'd imagine is, is very similar across the board. So that's kind of what I want to do. Like, let's just talk about it. Any questions. And there, again, there are no stupid questions. There are only stupid answers. Right. So, but it's, it's open. And I think that's cool. And again, I, I don't know many places that, that really offer that. So at least not where, where I'm from. So hopefully, you know, the idea is, is eventually get this thing off the ground to where it, it could become something a little bit different. And we can start, you know, running courses for, you know, civilians or giving, you know, kids in their, and when I say kids, I mean like kids in their early twenties and, you know, their late teens, like, you know, a taste of what the police academy would be like, you know, through selection days and stuff that we could do and running them through the PT course and, and stuff like that. Yeah, man. And that, that's right in line with, uh, I am moving, uh, out of investigations and into, uh, recruiting and hiring. And I had a Sergeant ask me, uh, Hey, what, what is your job going to be? Cause we're under the impression you're just going to be posting on Instagram. I'm like, well, if it's just me posting on Instagram for this agency, that's kind of a gross misappropriation of a sworn officer. Um, like yeah. not, not being a smart ass, not being funny about it. There's so many more things that, uh, that I can do. And, and my response to that was again, that, that cultivating success from the very early stages of somebody's, uh, career, right? That's that's truly what it is, is they are attempting to earn a spot in a career field in which they're passionate about what you touched on. And that is, again, as you've said, uh, the same kind of the world, uh, well, maybe not the entire world, but but the vast majority of the world over, the, the countries that you mentioned, right? Europe and in, in Australia and, and uh, uh, I'm sure into some other, you know, Pacific nations, uh, uh, certainly here in the United States, up in Canada, um, uh, maybe maybe not the countries where you're sort of conscripted into law enforcement by any means, but um, to to get out there and and 
teach the the new ones, right? The the people that are coming in after us. We've got to have that succession planning, right? I I I heard it said best that it's no longer a recruiting pool; it's a recruiting puddle. Um, so let's take the people who are still willing to do this job and let's do everything in our power to make them successful. But that often starts with pages like yours, right? And, and people like you who are willing and you put yourself out on social media, which for all of its negatives, social media can be a vastly powerful and positive tool, right? It can have a positive impact. Um, the, the work that you do to, to sit and talk with people, uh, though it is, thousands of potentially thousands and thousands of miles apart. I mean, here we are, you you're over on the East coast. I'm in Arizona. And at the beginning of this podcast, Cole, we were answering a question about somebody getting ready for the California highway patrol. Um, you had somebody reach out to you from the UK. I had a, a guy a week or two ago from, uh, from Ireland. Uh, I don't know shit about policing in Ireland, but I know about policing and I know, right. and right. I know, I know about learning to be a police officer. Um, and I know about teaching police officers. So yeah, absolutely. Let's sit down and talk about that, man. Because I can remember Cole in the beginning of my career when I sat in, in my command board, um, which, uh, uh, basically you'd sit in after your initial interviews, you'd be called back for a second interview provided you were, uh, uh lucky enough. And there'd be, uh, uh, the people with the shiny stuff on their collars, right? Uh, lieutenants and commanders and whatnot. Um, and I had brought up social media as a tool for positivity. And I wasn't even really thinking on the scale that, that you conduct work on or that I conduct work on. Uh, but from an agency standpoint, and this commander looks me dead in the eye and goes, yeah, we have no business being on social media. That's never going to do anybody any good. Mm. But, but therein lies that old school way of thinking, or, or maybe that misunderstood, oh, well, social media is only for cat videos and shitting on police or whatever. Right. I mean, it's, there's so much more to it that that you are leveraging um, and, and helping people out with uh, with their careers and good on you, dude. I mean, I, I am absolutely impressed with uh, with the work that you and and, and other people out there uh, are, are willing to do. And you know, it's hey, you guys need to have outside. You guys need to have lives outside of of policing. Well, the fact of the matter is, like, uh, don't let a cop, don't let being a cop be part of who you are. Well, it is. I don't know. Truly, I don't know how, uh, you know, people say that, oh, I don't like, I don't like being a cop dictate who I am. Well, you are a police officer, right? It's like, if you ask somebody, if you ask somebody who's in the Marine Corps, what their job is, what are they going to tell you? 10 out of 10 times, I'm a Marine. You're like, well, okay, what, what do you do in the Marine Corps? Oh, okay. I was in infantry. I was in bulk fuel, whatever the case is. Um, it's the same, uh, you know, I think with a lot of police officers, man, is that you and I grew up wanting to be cops, right? Through the nineties and the early two thousands and. And then here we are, uh, we're going to go gray in this career probably quicker than we were supposed to, but that's all right. I've already got gray hairs. Um, yeah, but I got a uh, slightly receding hairline, so I, I understand what yeah, you mean. Yeah, it's cool. My my partner, uh, he's not my my direct partner. He's in the detective bureau with me. He's one of our homicide detectives. I'm over in sex crimes, but we're in persons crimes together. Um, and uh, I hadn't cut my hair in a while, and he looked at me, and he, he kept giving me this look. And, and I know him, and his this he's got this little smart-ass smile that he has on his face, and you just know the gears in his head are turning. Uh, and he looks at me, and he goes, oh, okay, I figured it out. And he p- pulls up a picture of Ben Stiller from Starsky and Hutch when he does the Bacardi and Cola, do it, do it. Uh, and he's got yeah. those, the, the gray streaks on the side of his head, and he's like, that's what you remind me of. I'm like, fuck you, I'm shaving my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it, that, was a, uh, that was a rabbit hole moment for me. Um, uh, but I, again, offer you know absolute kudos to, uh, 
to you for putting yourself out there. Because uh, there is, you know, there's negativity out there. There are probably people that would love to come on, uh, you know, message you and or, or, oh, you know, damn cops this and a cab that. Um, but you're willing to to see the forest through the trees and and help out and be a mentor, uh, even even if indirectly, um, right? You're, it's not like you're sitting there leading these people on a on a trail run or something along those lines. But to be able to say, hey, here's my background. Here's the work that I've done. Maybe I can help. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, another big caveat to that is, you know, kind of like what you said, you know, about like, you know, when people are like, oh, you know, you're, you're not, I'd leave my, my, my work at, you know, I leave my work in the car or whatever, but it's like, come on, man. Like that is such a, again, I would argue that's just such an old school backwards way of thinking. Cause like now you're, you've essentially said you've shut that part off and now what do you do? Now you're going to go in and you're going to take it into your, your family and your kids and, it's just there, there's so much more to it than that like you know that that what meets the eye and i think i think you know for a lot of people like they need to know that and and people need to know about the trauma and stuff that comes with this job and that comes with this line of work and it's okay to to, to come on it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to talk about not just about you know mentoring but about like hey like you know what do you think of this or i'm, I'm struggling with this like it, it it's you need to have places where you know, you can feel safe and unjudged where you, you know, you can talk about stuff like that because the days of I'm leaving my work at home, which again is, I would argue is a, a, a just a fallacy. Cause like, what does that mean? Like, I'm going to go leave my work at home and then I'm going to drink till I'm numb and then I'm going to take it out. You know, there's just, there, there's so much more. And, and then, and, and then the flip side of that, there certainly are cops that do make very, very cringeworthy stuff on social media, like, you know, the dancing cops and stuff like that. I'm not, really big on any of that stuff, but it, I, I can't stand social media, but in a, in its own way, it, it's also a very, very powerful tool that can be used for, for a lot of good, you know, if people are open to it and are willing to, to reach out. But again, you got to want to reach out and you have to, you know, want to make it work and you got to put yourself out there, which was hard for me, obviously, but you know, you have to put yourself out there to, you know, to get out there, if that makes sense, you know? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I started this this whole podcast was more a result, um, and again, this for me it was more a result of, you know what? I've never been accused of uh, of being uh, quiet. I've never been told that I don't talk enough. Um, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of people who don't understand the job. And this was in 2020 when I started this podcast, and it was, hey, I think I can maybe I can break some things down for people in a way that might make sense or, or again, put myself out there, open myself up to conversations um, to help people understand the why behind some of the things that we as police officers do in our day-to-day jobs. Um, and I was effective at that. Uh, there were people who, I mean, uh, I've, I've often joked my wife and I don't vote the same way. Um, uh, and it's one of those things, opposites attract, right? But uh, there are some of her friends who who reached out after the fact, after I started putting the podcast out, and they were like, oh, okay, kind of. now I kind of get it. Um, and, and, you know, it was I was sitting there, I was like, okay, I'm kind of pissed off because here we are, people hate cops. I've got so-called friends who have just straight up, like, you know, they – they don't talk to me over social media anymore. They completely, they, they unfriend me, which looking back sounds a little bit childish, but it hurt at the time. Right. And it still does a little bit that these folks that I'd been cool with in high school, 
uh, and, and into college days are now like, no, 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 no. Kevin's a police officer. Fuck that guy. Yeah, out, man. Out of everything, I you know, I've known you for ten years. I knew you before I was a cop, and now you're just gonna you're just gonna not talk to me because I've I, I wear a badge forty hours a week, and that's where I can come in with the yeah. Hey, I I leave policing behind to an extent, right? Like I I leave my if I'm not on call, my work cell phone, my badge, uh, my handcuffs, everything stays in this, this podcast studio that I have here. Cause it's the front room of our house and it's just kind of left alone. Right. I don't, I walk past it when I come through the front door and that's really the extent of it. But that doesn't mean that I'm no longer a police officer. My wife will tell you that like, I, I, I always, that, that whole thing. And I even did it before I was a cop. If you sit with your back to a wall facing the door, right. So you can see everybody who comes in. Um, but we were like, we were in Salt Lake city on vacation and walking into a mall there, and I'm literally watching this homeless dude shoplift cologne from a Macy's. Um, and my wife looks at me, looks at him. He looks at me. Um, the staff members kind of look over at him, and they're like, they just kind of shrug. I would imagine that's part and parcel. But I'm sitting there, and it, like every ounce of my being is like, fuck this dude, tackle him. <laughs> and my wife is like, hey, you don't work here. You're not working. I'm like, uh... You're right. And just like looking at the staff members and again, they just shrug and I'm like, well, all right, whatever. But that's, that's where you, you know, that's, that's the harder thing to turn off is that like, ah, I was, I, we were just out uh, doing recruiting in California, a, a military base out there, my, my buddy and I, um, and our, uh, our Lieutenant, and we come off the freeway and we're in a marked patrol car in a different state, which was weird for me. Um, but this car in front of me is this shitbox white old BMW, uh, busted taillight temp tag on the back. And I, I look at my buddy and I'm like, Jeff, the intrusive thoughts are going to win, man. He was like, don't do it, dude. This is a good stop, but we're way outside of our, our jurisdiction. And it's like, you're right. I'm not even technically, I mean, I, I think I'm kind of working. We got paid to drive out here, but I need to, I need to put that uh, side away. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe we call local. I don't know. Uh, all right. I'll leave it alone. But, uh, but it stays with you, man. I mean, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. I mean, it stays with you and you can't, I mean, it, it, you can't help that, you know what I mean? And I don't think, and again, I don't, I don't think that's a bad, I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I, I really don't, but it's, it is a, uh, it's definitely a, a, a tough time now. My buddy who's going in and, you know, I, I told him, I said, it's the way it is now. I, it's a job that requires, 100% perfection from 100% imperfect people. Right. And you, you're, you're never going to be able to just like leave. It's always going to be there. You know, if that makes sense, like you're never just going to be able to leave that at the door. Cause like you're, it's just, I don't want to be like, Oh, this is who you are. But like in a way it really is like, this is, there's so much more with them being, you know, like a, a, an executive CEO that can like, you know, take off and then just enjoy his weekend. You know what I mean? You're, you're constantly, and how can you not be, you know, when you're traumatized and I don't mean it like dramatically, like you're traumatized, like, no, but like you really are dealing with trauma rather frequently, whether you want to look at it that way or not. And that, again, that doesn't make you weak saying that, you know, because it's what we signed up to do, but at the same time, and that took me a really long time to realize, man, for sure, especially as I've gotten older and I've matured through the job, but that's that, that's something that you just can't leave behind. That's something that's not going to pour over into your marriage or into your family. Like, you know, you have to be willing to to say, hey, like, this is what's going on and this is how I'm feeling. And yeah, like, 
just even with m- mundane things, right? Like going to a, a shopping mall and seeing something sketchy, like you're just going to be on it because you just know, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you're going back to, to, to what you know and what you've seen and what you've experienced in your career to where like, you're not going to just be able to like look the other way or not give it a second thought. You know what I mean? But hey, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can only do uh you only do the best that you can. Well, and, and you hit the nail on the head, right? It's not, we have a very unique job. I mean, truly they're they're in the grand scheme of things. There are not that many police officers out there. And I think back to when I would meet people when I worked in pest control before I was a police officer. Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I do pest control. That was the end of that conversation. Now, and and again, we're not any, I don't, I don't think that you and I or really any other cop uh, uh, sits there and goes, oh, look at me. Look how cool I am. I'm a cop. Blah, blah, blah. We, we try to... Yes, it is always omnipresent in the back of our minds, but a, a lot of us, I think, try to uh, try to not even give off that we're we're cops and not even talk about it. But now, you go to a wedding or you go to out to out to a dinner or you meet you know you meet somebody new and oh uh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a cop, and they're like oh no shit hey I got what about this TV show? Hey, do you know this person? My uncle in Maine, and he works for this department. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like right. All the cops, you know what I mean? Right. I don't. I don't have a Rolodex. I was. I was at an event yesterday, and this dude walks up, and he was like, "Hey, I'm looking for so and so," and I'm like, "I don't even know who that is." And he was like, "Oh, he ran for sheriff a while back." And I'm like, "Uh, what?" <laughs> you know my, uh, you know my cousin. He's a cop at NYPD. I got to the point now where I'm like, I know that guy. He is a really, really good guy. Yeah. <laughs> you got to call. But yeah. it is. It's a very, it's a very, very unique profession especially when it comes to stuff like that and I, I talked to my buddy about this the other night but like you know it, I think you know for for us what makes it so different and so unique is I think like in the military when you when you're deployed and you're you're overseas and you know you, you're constantly in that position right like you're 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 in a war zone or, or whatever and you're every day you know you're dealing with this and and you know you're just, you're there. You know what I'm saying? But like here in, in law enforcement, especially, at, you know, at home, you know, you could, it's such an emotional roller coaster to where like, you know, you start your shift and, you know, you're dealing with something stupid, like trying to catch a loose dog. The next thing you know, you're going to a, um, you know, a gunshot suicide. And now you got to go tell, you know, a, um, a wife that, you know, Hey, your husband's dead, but then you go home Right. You, you, and, then, and then again, you go from that call and you go into a fight or, or whatever, or you go do it's like some stupid ass step that like, and you're just like, are you kidding me? But then you go home and now you're expected to be a dad, a, a husband or, you know, a friend. And it, how can you not leave that? Like you, you can't, you can't just leave that at the door. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it stays with you. And it's a very like, a very very unique thing that I, I don't think a lot of people realize and i think if we had more people who were open to, to talking about stuff like that and you know not being like oh uh, you know we don't talk about it like that's just you know that again i would argue that's just really old school stupid thinking like you're not tough for not talking about it by the way and it's you know it's a very 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 unique profession that's why we have to have outlets and we have to have people that are you know willing to talk and again it could it could be a good thing but Hopefully, hopefully that, that's coming. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I mean, I remember coming home. It wasn't even, it wasn't our Friday. It was April, uh, April of 20, April, March or April of 2020. So again, the whole shit box of 2020 was just starting. Um, 
and uh, get done with a critical incident that kept us over um, hundreds of rounds fired by this dude uh, at our officers. Look, thank Christ. I don't know how he didn't hit anybody. Um, he ended up getting taken into custody, but um, with with the the volume of fire, I wasn't even necessarily near him when he was shooting his rifle. He ended up running, uh, losing his rifle, going to his pistol, and he was cracking off pistol shots. And it's like, I got done with that whole call, and it was like, all right, cool, we're done, we're done for the night, guys. Thanks for holding over. We appreciate you. I know, right? Go ahead, and, right. yeah, go ahead. And, what do we have? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, hey, it's gonna be it's gonna be a felony in custody if you guys can get your supplemental reports in tomorrow. Cool, and dude, call. Right, I, right. I get home, I I get into bed at God only knows what time it was when I finally got home. You know, three o'clock in the morning, and try not to make my wife up. But then all that adrenaline dump. It finally like it. I don't I don't live too far outside of the city that I work in, uh, so it doesn't take me a whole lot of time to get home. Certainly not enough for my body. To the, the to physically process everything, and I am vibrating in in bed, and it wakes my wife up. She's like, "What the hell happened?" I'm like, "I don't even know how to explain to you what just happened." I know. I mean, it, but that's. I mean, and you. What do you do? I mean, you got to try. But it's like it, it's a very very. And then here's the thing: is like, and then you're going back tomorrow. Like, it doesn't matter what happened today. Because if you're working tomorrow, short of you being put on leave or whatever, you're going back and you're expected to do it again. Yep. And, and, and again, too, like, you know, that's what you sign up to do, right? I'm not saying, I'm not saying by any means like, oh, like, you know, look at, look at poor us. Like, no, I'm glad that we, we can do it. And I'm glad that we're, you know, strong enough to handle stuff like that. Guys and girls across the board who are in law enforcement, but it, it's a very, very unique thing. And I think, like you said, with that adrenaline dump, I think that's why we have so many cops that are struggling with, with addiction and stuff like that. Because when you come off of a high like that, and it's so true, man, there, there's nothing like it. Like, you know, the, the grass is never, you know, the grass is never greener and the sky is never bluer, you know, and it's, you go back and you go home and it's like, you're sitting at dinner and it's like, Holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, you don't know what's going on. Like, you don't know what I did today. And it's, you gotta, yeah, it's hard to, to find, you know, a way to, to, to cope with that, with that adrenaline. But again, I, I, I think it's, it all comes back to, you know, talking about it, having people that are, are willing to listen and, and not just leaving it, you know, in the car when you come home, you know, you, you're going to have to, to talk and, it, and it's probably going to be hard. Like how, how are you going to tell your wife that, you know what I mean? Like you do your best you can, but I mean, I promise it'll make you feel better after you talk, talk to somebody about it. Cause you can't just hold it in. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and again, highlighting the need for cops nowadays. Again, I don't even as a sex crimes detective, a good majority of my investigations can uh, revolve around crimes against children. And I don't want to don't want to dump all of that onto my wife. I don't you know, she's she is a counselor, uh, not by trade, but by the simple fact that she's the person uh, who I love, the person who I married. But I also don't want to levy all that on her. So, again, highlighting the need perhaps for for us as we sit here and talk about it to let the new cops know, as well as the people that are already in the job, hey, it's okay to go find somebody and go talk to them. And when I say go find somebody, I don't mean Joe at the bar. Uh, I mean like an actual professional counselor who's going to sit down and help and and uh, and sit and chit chat with you, right? It's it's just I I know that law enforcement is a slow ship to turn. Uh, we have historically taken the 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 route of, like you mentioned earlier, you know, well. 
I'm going to, I'm going to not talk about this because I want to be tough. I want to be the, I want to be tough. I want to be strong. So I'm just going to keep this all bottled in. It's like, there's, there's that meme rolling around on Instagram. I scroll across it like once a week and it's like, uh, something about, no, I'm going to, uh, why don't men show their emotions? And the response is, no, I'm not going to show any emotions. I'm going to keep it all bottled up and dry, die of stress induced heart failure in my forties, like a real man, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. What are they going to say? What it's oh, he was so tough. You're like, no, man, come on. Yeah, no, I have I have every intention of living to a to you know the ripe old age of uh, you know ninety ish, right? I I want to be out there. I want to I want I got a whole lot of this uh, marble that we're on that I haven't seen and a whole lot of things that I haven't experienced, man. So it's important to uh, again as as we go through and and teach and mentor these new cops and the people that are coming into the field to make them aware of every aspect of the job, not just the cool high speed shit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what I want. That's what I want the page to be. So, you know, again, if, if people are listening, like it's not just, you know, mentoring for, for law enforcement or like, if there's something that even cops that follow my page, like, you know, we're here and I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for you as well, but like, we are here to listen. We're, we're here to help. And we're, we're certainly here to give you honest feedback. And, you know, I heard once that, you know, a good person's going to tell you, you know, what you, what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. So that's, that's kind of, you know, what, what we want it to be about. It doesn't necessarily have to be about those other things. It can be for questions as it relates to, to stuff like that, or people who are like, you know, is this really what it's like? And what's this like on your home life? And what's it like, you know, you, you got to talk about it. You have to be open because, you know, you don't want to be that guy that, that didn't say anything. And then, you know, somebody just, buys into all the rainbows and car chases and all, you know, the other great bullshit that comes with the job. And it's like, shit, I didn't know that I was actually going to have to, you know, take all this home with me. And, and the, the fact of the matter is you certainly will. So it's, that's why you got to have, again, we're, we're here for each other. We have to support each other. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Why? Well, I, I have taken up quite enough of, uh, of your evening trying to be cognizant of the fact that you're a couple hours ahead of me and thank you again so much for taking so much time out of your evening here i know you got your your young family there at home uh in this this last couple minutes though cole you've got uh, my last question to you man is, is this you've quite literally um as you've already experienced through your own page you've got a microphone to the world right now the the modern cop podcast i am extremely fortunate uh to have listeners all over uh all over this planet um but you've got a microphone to the world, man. What does the world need to hear from you? Oh man, you put me on the spot with that. One. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, first thing I would say is, um, man, if you give me a microphone to the world, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's probably number one. Number two is if you are struggling, um, you know, reach out to somebody, get, get help. It is, it is okay. It's okay not to be okay. And it's, okay to have, you know, weird thoughts and, and things that are, that are bugging you. But what's important is, is that you would recognize it and that you would go and get, you know, professional help. And, and kind of like you said, brother, I don't mean like go get professional help at the bar. I mean, truly reaching out to a, a licensed professional and don't ever buy into like, oh, because he doesn't know what I went through. I'm not going to trust them. That's no, like they're, they're medical professionals for a reason because they have degrees for that and they understand biology and chemicals and stuff like that. And that's that, I think that's what this world needs. The world needs, you know, one, the world needs a savior, but the, the world also, you know, needs people that are, are going to be willing to reach out and listen. So, you know, please, uh, you know, we don't want to see cops 
you know, take their own lives every single day. And it, and it's, and it's terrible. And anybody who's listening right now that could be struggling, like I promise there, there is hope and it will get better. And there is a silver lining and don't be afraid to, to hesitate and reach out. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my hope for this and keep on keeping on man, head down, keep moving. Yeah. Likewise, man. Likewise. I like it. I have, uh, I have nothing more to add to it because you hit the nail on the head. Certainly reach out, reach out to Cole uh, or myself. If you're looking at, uh, at being in law enforcement and I would actually say reach out, uh, to both of us. We're both resources out there. Find as many pages as you can. Uh, neither Cole nor I are going to be, uh, too big to respond, uh, uh, or we will eventually get to you. And I, and I know there's probably a few people listening to, uh, the show that, uh, that it's taken me a few days or weeks to get back to you. Um, uh, please don't take it personally. Um, Cole and I, I'm sure that we both sat there and go, Oh shit, I need to get back to that guy. Just a whole lot going yeah. on, a whole lot rolling around, but, uh, uh, Cole's out there doing the Lord's work. I promise if anybody sends me a DM, I will, I will get back to you. I promise. I promise. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> likewise. Likewise. Well, Cole, thanks again so much, man. Do me a favor, stay on the line for me. We'll, uh, we'll kind of debrief here at the end, but again, thank you so much, uh, for coming on the show to everybody who's listening. Thank you again. Stay tuned for information on the 2023 good cops giveaway. And other than that, stay safe and I will see you on the road.